Welcome to Gold and Great, telling Asian American stories from the Gold Rush to the Gold Open. Welcome back to the show. So good to see you here. My name is Josh. Welcome to Gold and Great. Um, I am really excited about our guest today, as I am for all of our guests. Um, I first met her a couple, I guess, I guess it's a year ago now, um, back when we uh, went to places. I saw her perform at a show at Bindlestiff Studio, um, which if you haven't heard, it's a really dope uh, performance showcase slash space for Filipino American artists in the city. And uh, I noticed that she was really talented in her acting. And I took a look at the program and realized that she had also written a play and directed another play. And so um, the mediums Lauren has worked in just really continue to astound and amaze me uh, because a couple months ago, she released a comic uh, for Boom Comics introducing a Filipina slayer to the official Buffy the Vampire Slayer canon, uh, which is awesome. It's the, the first installment in the Every Generation series. And she was able to work on that comic with uh, her good friend from college, Morgan. And so that uh, relationship, which is, you know, a decade plus long, um, was able to, to just end up with this really cool final product. And so um, our friend Long was able to check in with Lauren and really talk craft and getting into the process of writing in different mediums from poetry to comics to theater, but also thinking about uh, where the ideas and inspirations came for this new comic and using Filipino folklore to really influence and drive the story and challenging um, some of the messages she was taught as a girl um, with the now experiences and stories that she brings um, as being someone both of Mexican and Filipino descent. Um, it's a great conversation. Let's head over to it. This is Longvo talking to Lauren Garcia. Let's just start you off. Can you introduce yourself? I know you are a woman of many talents. <laughs> but can you sum it up for me, please? Yeah, that's, let me think. Uh, yeah, I'm Lauren. I do a lot of things. Um, I would say I'm a storyteller and my mediums are acting and script-based work, whether that be comics or theater stuff or sketch stuff. And is that something you excel at the most with the, the script writing as opposed to any other medium? I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. That's the honest truth. I'm still figuring it out. I don't, before that, I did mostly like poetry and spoken word. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, that's where my writing was. But right now, all my, the grants I've been getting, all the work I've been getting has been script based. Okay. So right now, that's what's happening. I'm, I don't know if that's what I excel at, but that's what 
is bringing me work right now and bringing me joy, honestly. <laughs> so that's that's the Asian thing. It's like, what what are you good at, quote unquote? What does what's monetizable, right? <laughs> well, what's gonna pay the bills, <laughs> and also what what makes you happy? <laughs> that's true. You just don't tell that other side, right? Right. Um, actually, can we dive a little bit more into poetry? Like, what drew you into poetry? Um, nothing. I as a kid. Ever since I can remember, I didn't even know it was poetry, but I've been writing since I can can remember. Um, I think I told you that I didn't grow up watching a whole lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad just didn't want me to watch TV or anything like that. So I would help um, a lot of, in the garden and spend a mm-hmm. lot of time outdoors um, helping grow vegetables and all these things. And in my downtime, I just wrote. I wrote things. And... A lot of it, I feel like, was writing things because English was not my first language and Mm -hmm. it wasn't the first language of my parents. So I just felt like I needed to write things down that I couldn't comprehend other people Mm -hmm. saying at school or at the grocery store, um, trying to understand the differences like between just like simple things like I remember going to the grocery store and not knowing what a cucumber was called or zucchini was called um, or like onions and we couldn't ask for it. And we had to like, I had to, I went home and I tried to understand the word zucchini and onion. Um, And it started from there. I feel like, I feel like just like this exploration of language um, of trying to understand like sort like, I feel like somebody who grows up, well, mixed race a, or, um, you know, first or second generation, in our minds, like, all of these different languages are mixed up. Like, we can't, at least I couldn't sort them out. They Mm -hmm. were all just one thing. And as I navigated the world, I started to begin to be like, oh, actually, I can't communicate with anyone if I can't know how to, like, what is what, people don't know what I'm asking for, um, what is Tagalog, and what is Spanish. Um, And so I think that's kind of where that writing poetry thing started, just like playing with language, playing with cadence, playing, yeah, playing with, you know, all the different elements of that, so. And I think one great thing about poetry as opposed to prose is that, you know, um, Poetry does not necessarily need grammar, right? And yeah. grammar is very academic and sometimes changes. And like, there's different schools of thought for that. Mm. And it can be like a um, classism within that. But poetry is like can flow every way, right? Yeah, uh, and it can flow verbally and visually in different ways. Um, and it's fun. It's fun to explore language in that way. And it's so fluid. I feel like there's no limits to it. I almost wish, I remember when I wrote my, um, my first college application, I did mm-hmm. write it in poetry, like, I didn't know it was poetry, but mm-hmm. I wrote it in poetry, and then I sent it in, and I got an email back that was like, did you mean to send this in? <laughs> like, they, they, like, they actually checked for me, and they were like, maybe you want to return this in, and I was like, oh, yes, I will talk to somebody about that, I guess. Which, if I had better literacy, I might be like, now, and knew how to, like, present it. I'd be like, no, that's what I meant. But at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, let me see who can help me with that. So if I took your class now, if I turned something wrong, I'm like, you just don't understand my poetry. Is that, my, is that how I can get out of your class? <laughs> I don't 
teach poetry. I don't teach poetry, so. Um, well, not teaching poetry, but I could just be like, well, for now, I'm using poetry. That's my cop-out, right? <laughs> if I was your student, you'd probably just kick me out at that point. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I feel like if I could feel like it was you were trying to, like, be a cop-out or, like, whatever, be lazy about it, I'm like, that's not that's not it. I don't think you got it. <laughs> You're like, nah. <laughs> okay, so let's kind of fast forward to now um, the comics medium. What drew you into this project? Um... Well, A, it has um, one of my favorite illustrators. <laughs> I was going to get to work with one of my favorite illustrators, um, mm. Morgan Beam. And um, when we have talked in the past, um, we talked about the kind of stories we like, um, the kind of stories we wish for. Um, we talked about um, we're both women, so it, it's just like, easy in that way to like bond with this person over what we wish, what we lack in, in female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, that that's what really drew me in working with her. Um, and then a, that was the first thing B um, working with monsters and then C having not just working with monsters, but being able to pitch this idea and explore this world. So the fact that I had, um, I was given uh, free range to like explore monsters and be as creepy as I want. I mean, I think there was very little like that I couldn't put in, which was like, I think, I think it was like, you can't sh- like the illustrator can't show children dying. <laughs> like in the, yeah. like, that's like it. Um, but we can allude to it, which means like the horror element we could pump up that horror element as much as we want. And we're both mm-hmm. Morgan and I just really enjoy horror and creepy things. And there's so much of that in um, Filipino folklore. So what were things that you're able to explore in the common medium that you can't explore anywhere else for you personally? Mm, let me think that. Um, what could I explore in the comic medium that I couldn't explore anywhere, anywhere else? Um, that's a really good question because um, the reason why I got involved in this piece um, is because, or in this project is because I had been doing playwriting and mm-hmm. we, Morgan had come to see one of the plays that I wrote and was a part of and all these things. And she, it was maybe, I'm sure she had thought about it before, but it was one of the conversations we had after the show was like, she was, I never really understood how similar like playwriting was to, or like a script was to comic books. Or maybe I said Mm -hmm. that. I can't remember who said it. One of us said it. And not only that, but films. And I've always, always, always wanted to do more films because I'm also a visual artist. Um, I can't draw, but I do. I've always wanted to do film and and that kind of visual art. Um, And... And I felt like, even though I haven't had the opportunity to create a script for a film, comics is basically your, like, shot by shot, how you would plan out a film. Except Mm -hmm. that instead of working with a cinematographer, somebody, like, actually filming those shots and, and actors, you're working with an illustrator who is taking those scene shots from the story to like push the story along. 
And once that clicked, I was so excited. I was like, I can do this. And Morgan was like, yeah, we can totally do this. And I feel like that's why I was excited doing Did I even answer your question? Let's see. Yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> that's why I was really excited about doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah. What were the challenges that you didn't see? Because it's just a unique medium, right? I try to explain someone comics because when I gave him a comic, um, I forget, I gave him this issue of Batman and Catwoman writing a love letter to each other. Mm-hmm. And they broke up the letter into the word bubbles, but then also is all across the word, all across the um, page, and there's pictures in between. So it was very unorthodox, and she could not read it. So I'd explain to her, it's kind of like a poem, mm. but there's pictures between the poems. Mm, mm. So what, were there any like challenges like putting your thoughts and trying to get into this medium? Um, the biggest challenge I feel like is um, for this medium specifically is because I am very pro, like, just, like, poetic in my writing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is to cut it down and to realize that shorter statements and shorter dialogue are very impactful because of the use of the illustrator. And because mm-hmm. I don't have, like, it was my, like, first time working with an illustrator, I I knew she was good, but... Mm-hmm. I didn't know like the genius of it. So I could, I really was, had to keep my dialogue or edit my dialogue down so that it was simple mm-hmm. so that the dialogue could fit on the page. Um, mm-hmm. Because I didn't have to say much because I could show people yeah. with the illustration. And so for me, that was difficult just, or un, like I unprecedented for me to do yeah, a challenge. A- yeah. And there's like a lot of trust that has to go in between. Like you just like trust the other person that they can draw like way beyond your thoughts what this like vampire looks like or what mm-hmm. your protagonist looks like or the background, right? Mm-hmm. How much fear was it to like just let that person do their thing? Um, I'm sure that if maybe if it, I was working with someone, I don't know, someone else, maybe I would have had fear. But I'm telling you, I had zero fear working with Morgan. I trusted her. I've seen her work. I've been a fan of her work um, for how long have I even known her? Like 13 years, maybe Mm -hmm. longer. I don't even know longer, longer than that. I've been a fan of hers for over a decade and Mm -hmm. it was just complete trust. I knew she could do it. I just didn't know the process that I didn't know what kind of process we would have, um, especially not being able to meet in person um, to create it. But I actually had zero fear. It was all trust and I didn't have to control anything or we were both really open to like feedback, like feedback from each other. And it almost to the point where even if it was feedback, it got the other person excited. Like, Oh, actually, you know what? That makes me think of another idea I had, which actually might work better. And I forgot about it until you said something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was almost zero fear. Although I do recognize that fear as a playwright letting it go for theater. But for this comic, really working with the illustrator, there was there was none. How did you and Morgan meet? How did Morgan and I meet? I'm pretty sure that I saw her reading 
a book by her window in her in her dorm freshman year in college and I remember walking by and I remember seeing her sitting there she also had this really cozy comforter and (laughs) I took a chance and I ran up to her in her dorm and I was like hi I'm Lauren she's like hey and I was like I really love reading can I ask you about that book because it was on my book list and um I don't know. It was something about witches or something. <laughs> it was probably about, I think it was about witches. And, and I like, she's like, yeah, come on in, come on my bed. It's so super cozy. And I jumped on her bed and I was like, ow, because her bed looked so cozy. There was a huge comforter. It was fluffy. It looked like it was going to be just like so comfortable. And I remember like, I was like, why is it so hard? She's like, oh, there's probably books in every little crevice. <laughs> and so, like, I remember, like, pulling them out. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a book here. And there's a book here. She's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, you know, I read a lot. And I was like, oh, my God, can we be best friends? I read so much. And that I think that's how we became friends. We just started talking about books and stories. And it was freshman year in college. And it, it was funny because we had a group of friends who didn't really party or maybe were a little bit socially awkward. And so we would just like have our own like get togethers or even when we were invited to go out like normal college students, her and I would bring books in our bags. And if there was like a moment at the bus stop, we would pull our books open and we'd be like, and someone would have to be like, Hey, we're getting on the bus. I'm like, Oh, sorry. Okay. We're going. We're, we're, we're going. They're like, Oh, can you just like be present and not be in your books? You guys. Um, so yeah. So you guys had like trust or you two had trust so early on that like just bled into now work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me more like how important that trust is to have? I mean, unfortunately some people just can't go back in time and meet someone in college. (laughs) I don't know why I keep (laughs) using this like fake time machine but anyway <laughs> <laughs> you know you know it's you know, okay um maybe i'm projecting but you know like how important is it to uh, like have community and like people like-minded like you yeah i think it's so important i think it's important to to be able to trust in a way like even if you first meet someone like the people you want to work with are going to be people that you can be honest with and also who are going to be honest with you back, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, it's not about ego. It's not about, like, and who are excited um, to work with you, like, excited to do the project. And I just feel like when you have those things, and, and it doesn't, like, I was lucky because I've had this long, long relationship with Morgan, but I've also established it, like, when I'm on stage with, with, with actors that I meet. You know, mm-hmm. we're only on that stage for to rehearse maybe you know for for maybe six to eight weeks and then we do a run of shows and we're doing intimate scenes you know I'm not saying like sexually it's just intimate and that we have to trust each other so I feel like I have I I have I've been able to have practice in building that and being it's like a lot of it is letting go and Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't have any choice but to trust the other person because you're along for this ride and you have this project and I feel like that's when it's, and when you mutually do that, you're mutually like giving and know how to set boundaries. You have this really like symbiotic relationship. Um, And like, yeah, again, when, you know, when there's feedback, it's not about critiquing the other person. Um, It's more like 
ooh, like this story, how, what do you think about this? Like, what if this happened instead of that thing? And it's like, ah, yeah, that makes so much sense. So it's less about, yeah, like having me be right or the other person be right, but like moving forward together and accepting who the other person is because we're not, we're not the same people kind of person. <laughs> yeah. And so what, um, tips do you have for people to have that kind of like trust? Because the way I try to explain someone like our projects, especially when you're collaborating, like you, you're, you have a vision, but if mm-hmm. everything works together so well, it exceeds your vision because you had someone else help. Mm. Um, is that kind of how you see projects and how do you kind of mold, like knowing how to compromise to strengthen projects? Yeah, that's a good question. What, um, what I've realized in not just this project, but in other projects and in different careers or working life is you find people who are really good with, at what they do to be part of your team and then you let them do it. Mm-hmm. You don't try to control how they do it. You don't try to control the end product. You let it go and trust that they are actually really freaking good at their job. And it it's so much more rewarding, rewarding in that way. Like I feel like I've I've any time that a project has been successful, I've trusted that this that the other person is as good as is why I'm collaborating with them and is, and I, and I reaffirm that. I'm like, you're brilliant. I trust you. Mm-hmm. Keep going. And yeah, cause also because people come from a different background, come from different perspective. You have like, I think in our space and medium of like representation too, I think a lot of times that, and we were always talking about it, like code switching stuff like that too. It's that sometimes we get critiques that are wrong in a sense of like going back to, you know, you're using Telgala and like they're just saying, no, we have to correct that, right? We were thinking in a Western sense, not in um, an artist sense of like, no, that's someone else's language just because you don't understand, right? And having yeah. different perspectives, like look at it. So overall, like everyone's voice gets listened to. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, um, your craft, your your hustle, but then also like your background, your identity. And I think like the words that we use and even the words we don't use is like part of our voice. And what you're saying, you know, yeah. you have to let that person speak or as little as words or many as words they can. And then you guys mm-hmm. cultivate together, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. There has to be space for that person to be their full selves so that they they can also trust you and you can move forward in the project. You know, um, I remember reading somewhere, I think it was more of a joke. It's like when two people are not on the same path on working on a comic, the writer could have like, all right, I want a fight scene with 10,000 people in the background. <laughs> and you just only write that. And then the, the artist, like, wants to kill you because, like, even though there's no budget, like, they have to hand, painstakingly draw it, right? And so there was, was there anything like that? Um, um, <laughs> I don't think so. I think, 
I also, you know, Morgan and I did some co-writing, so I think anything like that, she was just like, no. Um, and I can't remember if there's anything really like that um, for this one, but uh, I, I do know she, she spent a lot of time. And we were just, we were laughing about it because we spent months on the, on 10 pages. And, okay. you know, 10 pages is over in 30 seconds. Could be over in 30 seconds for a reader. Yeah. So we're yet, like, oh my gosh, we spend so much time on each page. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I think um, people don't understand behind the scenes when you work on something like that. Um, there's a joke that, like, all image comics, they're all in the apocalypse. You know why they put in the apocalypse? Why? So they don't, so they don't have to draw the um, the people in the background. <laughs> so they would make post apocalypse, so everyone's dead already. It's like, good, we don't have to draw it. Or, like, horses. Horses are the hardest thing. So, like, you're like, can I have 10,000 horses attack this one person? You know, you don't want anything like that. Absolutely not. <laughs> so um, out of all franchises, um, how did Buffy get into um, the picture? I, 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 you know, that's a good question. And I actually don't know. Um, in the picture for me or in the picture for them? <laughs> Both. Um it just crossed my desk. It was just, uh, you know, like I said, it was, um, it was a good, it was a fit because, uh, when we pitched, uh, maybe like five ideas, um, mm-hmm. five ideas. Um, and who'd you pitch to? Um, we pitched to one of the editors. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, when we, when we pitched to, to the editor, one of the editors, they, there was a common thread with all of them, which was like, this woman who is the chosen one and and it fit it fit in the Buffy universe and mm-hmm. that's where it just matched really well um I don't know if that's something they do um often or frequently I don't know I don't know if that canon is is they they call for that um so I don't know where they come from but I know that that's how it just crossed for us and were you familiar with the Buffy vampire franchise before yeah, I was like I, I was I was familiar with it. I mean, I watched it um, growing up. Um, yeah. And were you kind of amazed at like to see them approach you and say like, "Oh shoot, my idea does fit this," right? Oh yeah, I mean, I I I wasn't surprised they would ap- approach Morgan. Morgan is phenomenal, um, but yeah, I was surprised that they would they were interested in doing a piece about, um, yeah, somebody from the Philippines, the characters, you know, from the Philippines. So I, I was surprised, and I was surprised that I was the one who got to um, do it. Yeah, because vampires, you know, are very universal. Like, I think, um, like, the Japanese vampire, I think they jump up and down, right? And then <laughs> there's, like, all these, like, little tall tale signs. I think the Vietnamese, like, vampire, like, I might be wrong, so I have to cross-check later. But, like, I think they, like, put their feet in their ears or mouth or something like that. They're all, like, super creepy and weird. Cool. I love creepy, weird things. I was yeah. just reading. I forgot what the Hmong, what Hmong, the Hmong um, vampire is like. But I I read something about it, and it was such a cool story. Ugh, I forgot the name. But... So, did you have to do any homework beforehand of, like, understanding Buffy when you get in, got into this? 
Um, most oh, uh, the Buffy. No, I didn't. I didn't really dive too. I just went off what what I knew and what my conversations with Morgan was. Um, mm-hmm. But I did, and in terms of research for like the character for the Filipino, like Filipino character, um, I just went back to my mom because most of those stories, um, even just like little details within the story, are from my mom. Um, okay. And so I just went back to her and was like, hey, tell me that story again. I just want to hear it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so uh, can you educate on me this and then also the listeners? Because, you know, for certain cultures, like some of these stories are just passed down through like oral um, storytelling versus like written. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think the interesting thing is like American storytelling. It's all been capitalized. It's been like franchises yeah. to Marvel, DC and stuff like that. And making sure like these stories pe- get passed down generation like um i think now is ever important to actually have it um cross new mediums to hit new gen- new generation but for filipinos is most of the stories like just audible or is there a place written down and then like was that a challenge to like getting more of the folklore beyond past your mom um yeah you know i I, I'm sure there's different um, different places and people, you know, pass different like families that pass it down differently. Um, I'm sure um, there is a um, like a whole room dedicated to um, dedicated to Filipino uh, history and mythology and folklore at the San Francisco Public Library. And I've spent time, yeah, and I've spent time there before. Um, I spent that time there previously just looking at books and just, I don't know, just enjoying the space because it is, it's its own room and there's tons of books in there. Um, Mm. And so I remember that there were books um, on different folklore for like Filipino folklore. I don't remember any of them particularly standing out and being compelling in the way that um in the way that like my my mom and my grandmother's storytelling is I Mm. I always found that way far more compelling um and as far as my family goes nothing's written down it's all and it's it's like it's like this you know prior to my mom I feel like out of like all my aunts on my mom's side, it like these stories were told to her, not as like story time storytelling, but as like how to like as like tools to bring you home. Like don't yeah. stay out too late because all these things things might happen. And so it was actually very fear based. And I remember when my mom talked to me about told me about these stories, she would sit with me and and tell me like this is the story I was told. How can we reimagine it? So it's not so scary or and not, not that it's not so scary. It's still going to have, it's still gonna be scary and creepy, but like the women were always pitted as like these evil beings. And so mm-hmm. she would, she would challenge me even as a kid to be like, but what if it, she wasn't actually this demon creature or maybe she was a demon creature, but what happened to her that made us all think that she was like this evil person and maybe she wasn't and so she, my mom is the one that I feel like re, like flipped the table on those stories from the stories that she heard and challenged me to think differently that something else could be happening there 
So yeah. in a way, she was able to revise the history a little bit or have more critical thinking, right? Of like yeah. how the stories are represented. Yeah, I think she like definitely wanted me to revise them. She was like, well, let's think about that. Like, what do you, she would be like, what do you think about that? Or um, is it really scary out there? Is that, you know, just, yeah, she would, she'd basically challenge the stories that, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, and she was, she was an adventurer as a kid. She wasn't somebody, she would spend time outdoors and she, she hated that people would tell her these stories just to scare her to come home because she just wanted to be outside and play and yeah, be an adventurer. Um, that reminds me of, uh, do you know the writer Elaine Castillo? She's also Filipino and from the Bay Area. Uh, no, but I'm going to write her name down. <laughs> so she, um, really great writer. She actually wrote um, America is not the heart. Is, is it, is not, is it, hold on. Okay, yeah, America is not the heart because, you know, America is the heart, the classic Filipino book. Okay. So it's um. a, the first Filipino written book in America back in 1950s and 60s. I think around there, and the Penguins Classics re um, published it, but they had Elaine Castillo write the forward, and she wrote the forward saying like, yes, you know, she loved this book because there's hardly any Filipinos in any books. However, she put a lot of asterisks saying like, you know, this book was still sexist because it was written by male in certain ways. There's a violence used towards women, and at the end, she says, you know. I'm still respecting this, but we need critical reading all the time to make sure that like we can progress forward, you know? And I feel like that's what your mom mm. did. She, she gave you like critical, like storytelling and like, you know, but what if, right? To challenge you with these stories, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you. I think she did. And I think it was, I don't know. I think that she was a natural artist and that was um, kind of, being an artist was kind of she was told she could not be an artist she mm -hmm. was told so many things she could not go out and play with you know adventure she was supposed to stay home and um learn to sew my grandmother was really good sewing and all these things and she was told like you know a woman's place is at home why are you going outside let me tell you these stories so I feel like it came from a place of like she wanted she like she, it was like I I felt I also felt this responsibility to reimagine in her as the heroine in her own story where she's not this she doesn't have to be a villain or she doesn't have to um abide by whatever yeah whatever it is that people were imposing onto her and I don't know that she felt like she had the freedom and the accessibility mm -hmm. to be to do that for herself um right. at the time so yeah it's amazing how comics um have changed i mean before with x-men was always about racist racism and um like they made professor x more like martin luther king um magneto like malcolm x mm. and during the civil rights and i think the most recent thing that helped change um this kind of storytelling is that they reinvented spider-man to be black a kid right because mm. the original artist was um you know, he was an immigrant from, or he was a Jew. And like, I think even at the time, um, Marvel was fighting um, Nazis because um, they found like, they found out about Captain America and Nazis actually showed up the building trying to fight the writer. 
But mm-hmm. um, when they f- reimagine like Spider Man, they're like, oh, he lives with his aunt in you know Brooklyn. This kid has to be black, right? And um, I think it's kind of cool. Like they're they allowed like a Filipino like folklore to come into Buffy. Mm, um, yeah. So with that, I think there's also been like Asian Americans now coming into uh, like storytelling. I think they made um, Credible Hulk like Asian a couple years ago, and they had the mm-hmm. first like um, cast of Asian characters in there. And then Marvel introduced um, their first Filipino character and writer on the same like token, right? Um, mm-hmm. So going back to you with like these slow changes for diversity, like um, how did the field feel like, was it open arms? Was there kind of like this fear of like messing it up because you haven't seen anyone write like these kind of stories in this medium? Or did you feel comfortable because your friend was there to coach you? Um, yeah, I, so everything that you're talking about, I feel all the time (laughs) in all my other art spaces, unless I'm doing, I'm in a specifically like in a specific space that is led and led by like people like me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like that all the time, unless I'm in those, in, in those specific big spaces so I understand that I think I had this great privilege to work with a friend and in that way it was like (laughs) it was like someone having your back um in a space where I think I would otherwise be highly intimidated by and also at the same time like when I've been in those spaces and I've been intimidated or felt like I had to code switch or whatever, mm-hmm. I make it a point not to, um, as best as I am aware, you know, as best as I'm aware, because I feel like in the past, when I, in the past, like in school or whatever, I always would get, it would, it would make me really unhappy. Like I would be really unhappy in those spaces. And I think like I had the privilege of having somebody who had my back because otherwise, I, like in the past, like when I've stood my ground, it's either been awkward or I feel like I may have lost a gig because I've stood my ground or not catered to the powers that be or the situation. Um, or I've been in places where like, it's not, op- it's not my arms are not, arms are not wide open. But my experience with this project specifically, and maybe it did have a huge part to do with my, you know, Morgan being my friend, was that I was heard. I I was allowed to let, you know, the name, I was was able to use the name, I was able to put Tagalog, you know, phrases um, within it without explaining what those phrases are. I just let them yeah. be. Because what was great, I read it, um... This is how far too much I know about uh, comics is that they didn't <laughs> just put it in English and put a star on it and then put on the bottom, say, in Tagalog, right? Yeah. They mm-hmm. allowed you to put right. those words, right? Did you, right. Um, did you uh, first put those words in like that and then they just passed it? You didn't think about it? I, I just allowed it to, to be in Tagalog. Yeah. Yeah. That's and they And they didn't challenge it. Nobody 
talked about it, nobody questioned it. And that that was really positive. That was a positive experience for me because in the past I've written scripts and done things in other places where it is questioned and it is like we need to cater to whatever. So you already knew that, like you already felt that ahead of time of what it feels to put something yeah. in and send it back with asterisks. So, but yeah. that moment you send it in, were you like cringing, like okay, please, please, please? Were you like knocking on wood, like do not reject, but you threw it in? Um, a little bit. I mean, I I, I didn't like cross my fingers or anything because I'm so, I feel like I'm so used to it that it's like mm. it happens all the time where I'm like I'm just gonna send it in if they don't like it. Well, we're gonna have to have a conversation, and no. I was prepared for that. Um, work that I was going to have to do, but it didn't, it didn't happen. And I've done that work before. I've done it at table reads. I've done it in other places where, yeah. And I, yeah, it was kind of, it was like, Oh, we'll see how it goes. And nothing. Okay, great. I also feel like, I think a lot of, I think like the gatekeepers are so traditional. They don't, they don't realize it's like, if I don't understand a word, I can just Google it. Yeah. And I think we just think we're, like the readers are too stupid to do that or like they're already on their phone already, you know, and like they can just quickly Google something coming back. And I just, and hopefully that changes where like they just trust the reader to just look it up on their own. We don't have to dumb down everything. Right. Yeah, I exactly. And I think that like, I think people who, um, like there's so, like so many of us are brilliant because we can speak our language, like we can speak like our language, and then we can speak English in our language. And then we, we, we know how to communicate English in somebody else's language or like society's language or the gatekeeper's language. And like, that, it's brilliant. And you're right. Like, they could just look it up. And, and it's, it might be fun for them too, if they just let it be fun. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so with that also um as a woman you know because there's not that many women writers to begin with let alone in this medium of comics right like there's probably a handful of of artists that i follow that are women and also asian but very few even in the boat of writing like um there's uh marjorie Liu, like Monsters, I, just, yeah. I just can't think of like that many, you know? So it's like, um, but how do you feel of like, you know, paving that way for like more women to get included in this conversation and drawing like diverse characters? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, it's, <laughs> there's so much, there's so much space and room. And I, I also think that, I also think that it doesn't have to be, with these big, big companies. And there are so many great writers, women writers, non-binary writers, writers of color, like, and, and we're not a monolith. Like there is, you know, everybody has their take, has their journey, has the stories they want to tell. And it's all, and there's so many strong writers. They, and, and, and what I w- want people to know is like, you might be a poet, but, and you're interested in, in, in comic books. And you're like, oh, maybe I can never do that. Well, you, well, you can. Like, you you know how to tell a story. And it's just about finding, like, either A, doing it, or or finding people who want to collaborate and do it a different way. Um, yeah. 
And a few more questions. So, um, writing this Buffy um, comic, one thing I noticed, um, you know, that the, you got the skin tone right. You know, um, think yeah. even in comics, there's a controversy of sometimes the color, the women of color kind of start getting slowly lightened throughout the years. Like Storm yeah. starts mm-hmm. looking a little bit more like J-Lo, which is like, no, she's like from Africa. Like, yeah. why are you changing her tone? And so right. I noticed this one's like, oh, the colors are like proper. Yeah. For the, yeah. Um, and especially in the, the Filipino community where colorism is a huge problem, right? Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. I, I know that one intimately. <laughs> Even when you could be in the same family and be different colors and be treated have different roles in the house um it's it's that's so real um yeah i mean in terms of like the actual illustration morgan is phenomenal again i'm gonna just like keep talking her up she's phenomenal um but you know i spent i sent we when we were storyboarding and just sharing things we were interested in i did share like she know she she she's familiar with my family the different tones she's familiar with some of my writings mm-hmm. um and how color colorism plays within my own family um and how just even between like my mom and her sisters her stepsisters um or half sisters i'm sorry her half sisters like I, I mean i've had writings about colorism since i was i think the biggest most like the biggest one i wrote was in high school and I just remember writing it and it not being, people didn't have the verbiage for it. And I didn't completely had the, 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 the verb, like the, the right words um, to describe it, but I was writing about it. Um, and so Morgan is familiar with that with me. She's also familiar with this, you know, my family, what, what the colors are. We, you know, when we were storyboarding, we shared pictures. I shared pictures of, um, where you know where my family was from or or you know um the tone the skin colors of the people from the different regions and things like that so that that did was a little a lot of thought and it was important to me it was yeah i wish i could send you into a time machine and tell your 10 year old self it's like all right one day you're going to draw for Buffy and you're going to be like a blonde white chick. <laughs> like, <can you> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Right. She would have just like, she would, she would probably would have been like, I am not going to be an artist and I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to probably be a doctor and, <laughs> and just, um, I don't know. Or either that or I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I'll be working in a hotel with my dad. So, but you're like, I followed my. <laughs> but you're like, I am not dr- like. There's no way they'll allow me to draw this brown girl in a blonde white girl like comic, right? Probably, I probably would have been like, oh no, 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 no that's <laughs> not me, absolutely not. <laughs> Thanks, Long and Lauren. That is going to do it for us today. Make sure to pick up your copy of Buffy Every Generation, Issue 1, wherever you get your comics. Do you have a story in your circle of friends or community that explores how family, cultural, and personal histories are shaping artistry and identity? How are you going back where you came from? You can send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to gold and great at collaboration.org. Don't forget, spell collaboration with a K. This episode was mixed and edited by Francis David Bustos. Our associate producer is Michelle Abiera. 
Our supervising producer is Long Vo, and our executive producer is Josh Ko. Our beautiful theme song was composed by Robert Gah, and you can learn more about his work at bobbygemusic.com. I'm Josh Ko, and we'll see you soon. Stay safe. More stories of the gold and great coming soon. Have a good one.